0: Welcome, everyone, to Bulldog Bites. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez. I'm a partner in Wobble Carlisle's Business Litigation Practice Group. We have a special guest here today. Jeff Jackson is both a lawyer with the firm and someone I've had the privilege to work with personally, but also was recently reelected as a, a state senator here in North Carolina. Since we've recently completed an exciting election, our topic for today is looking at what we can learn from those election results and looking ahead beyond what you might get in your normal political show context, but thinking about the impact and particularly for our general counsel in the audience for what to look at in terms of changes going forward and some practical tips that we can focus on. But Jeff, welcome and congratulations Thank on you. your recent election. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. All right. Terrific. Let's talk politics. Yeah, let's do it. So, Let's start on the national stage. Obviously, we had an exciting election, and it looks like we now have President-elect Trump getting ready to assume office. What insight do you think, or what things do you think our general counsel need to be looking at as we begin to anticipate a Trump administration?
1: Well, there are a couple key areas where he's going to have the ability to actually try and address some of the campaign promises that he made. There are a couple of sectors in particular where, as president, he's going to have a lot of authority. Um, Banking deregulation is one of them. He has said that he wants to come close to dismantling Dodd-Frank. He wouldn't be able to dismantle it without getting some votes from Republicans, which probably are not forthcoming on that issue. But there are a lot of things that he can do from a regulatory standpoint. He can target the um, CFPB and mess with funding for that if he wants to. He can also swap out the director for a board uh, so there are a lot of things in the banking space that he can do, which I think actually is why we saw banking stocks rally um, the day after he won. Um, similar situation with health care and the Affordable Care Act. So he's not going to be able, uh, being shy of 60 votes in the Senate, to completely repeal it. But there are certain things they can do through the budget reconciliation process that require less than 60 votes. You can do with just 50 votes or, or 51, which they have. They've got 51. Uh, they can end the, um, the subsidies which would be like pulling a leg out from the stool so that they can actually take away an integral piece of the Affordable Care Act. And, and frankly, I would put that at a, at a 90% chance of occurring. I, I think that in light of the number of times they have done repeal, now that they're in a position to actually repeal a major portion of it, they are politically committed to it. And you've got trade, you know, clearly, you know, he staked that out early in his campaign as a major issue. And he has, will have as president, an enormous amount of authority over agreements like NAFTA. If he wants to make major changes to NAFTA, he can. I mean, there's some language in there that requires you know, him to wait a certain number of months after proposing changes from withdrawing. But if he's dead set on withdrawing completely from NAFTA, he can do that. And I don't exactly know what the dominoes are there. I mean, we could speculate all day. Energy as well. He's promised major deregulation and he'll have the authority to push through a lot of that deregulation if that's something he remains committed to. Canceling the Paris Climate Accord, something that he's talked about doing, the Queen Power Plan, canceling that, something he's talked about doing. So, I mean, <laughs> the dominoes right. don't really end right. here, Mark, on the number of things that he can do just as president and with 51 votes in the
0: Senate. So if I'm if I'm a general counsel at a company that does a lot of international trade yeah. and I see a Trump administration coming, are there things I can do to get ready for that or, or things that will help my company better adjust to a world that perhaps doesn't have NAFTA or, or other agreements in place?
1: You know, I really don't know the answer to that. I, I, and I don't think Trump knows the answer to that, if I'm being completely honest with you. We never saw a detailed plan in this space. If you do a lot of exporting, you know, you're probably concerned right now, if your company does a lot of exporting. I know, you know I, I represent a part of Charlotte. Charlotte does $14 billion in exports each year. The bulk of that is going to Mexico and Canada, our NAFTA partners. So if NAFTA gets seriously amended or completely trashed, I mean, if you're in council at a major exporter, there is no way to spend that as good for you. There just isn't.
0: So it's as much maybe preparation for that eventuality. It's not good news, but it's something you have to begin Planning for from a contingency standpoint about how you're going to do that, or if you're going to be able to continue doing exports in a post NAFTA era?
1: If I were in their shoes, the only responsible course of action, I believe, would be an aggressive development of diversification of your business.
0: Right. So it's not just exports. Try to do. Or not, not just to exports manage. to our
1: NAFTA partners. You know, look at some free trade agreements with other countries that haven't become political targets. Do we have any
0: insight? And I know it's early into what a Trump administration may look like in terms of what it's gonna mean from the legal climate. I know there's been some general talk about, you know, less regulation, and, the, and you mentioned banking specifically. Do we have any sense of what may happen, for example, you know, with the consumer protection agencies and, and that angle, any insight into what, do we know what's gonna happen on those? I don't
1: think we do. Um, I think that, you know, it's clear from the record hasn't said a positive word about any of those types of agencies. So to the extent there's any changes, there will be in the direction of restricting those agencies and their scope. Um, As far as the appointments that he might be able to make, I think Chris Christie's probably a pretty good bet for attorney general. Um, If not him, then perhaps Rudy Giuliani. So Chris Christie apparently bet on the right horse about a year ago (laughs) and has revived a a near certain uh, fatal political career and will now have a... a second chapter or a third chapter.
0: You know, I know we're here in Charlotte, which is an area where there's a lot of fintech, the financial technology space. And I know a lot of our clients are working on that. Do we think the you mentioned Dodd-Frank, do we have anything to anticipate in terms of some of the other regulation on the financial industry? Is this going to be good news for, for fintech companies in terms of freeing them up to... To perhaps do stuff more efficiently than they have under the under the previous regulations.
1: Well, again, I don't see how it would be bad news. I think Senator Rand Paul has said that they want to spend the first month just um, repealing various regulations. So, if you are in a highly regulated space, as you know, we we as the financial sector and players in the financial sector are, I imagine you would greet that with open arms.
0: Great. I know you serve here in the in the North Carolina Senate. Can you tell us about what changes, if any, you think may be in store for those clients that are located here, do business here in the Carolinas? Well,
1: the political landscape post-election for the North Carolina General Assembly is that we have um, basically status quo in that the Republican Party maintained a supermajority that could override vetoes prior to this election, and they will maintain that supermajority today, after the election. There was a few seats that were picked up and lost, but net-net, basically no change when it comes to representation in the General Assembly, which means the Republican Party is now, will remain firmly in charge. Um, Even really despite the election of Roy Cooper, as looks probable at this point, but not certain, because there's going to be a recount. He won by about 5,000 votes. They have yet to count about 30,000 provisional ballots, um, historically. You know the provisional ballots are tend to disproportionately be Democratic. So it, the odds are Cooper will be the, our next governor. However, you know even if he wants to issue a lot of vetoes, he's going to have a hard time getting those vetoes upheld because Republicans have a, a big enough majority to override all of his vetoes. Just like they did with Governor McCrory, just about all of his vetoes were overridden. And I frankly don't expect it would be anything different with uh, Governor Cooper. So, I mean, to the extent that we kind of had a handle on where the majority in Raleigh was driving things, I think we continue to drive in that direction. One of the big question marks is we had a couple of high profile people weave, a couple of people in leadership in the General Assembly depart, and they took with them their own agendas. So we kind of had a sense of what those guys wanted to do. And now that they're gone, they're gonna be replaced by other people who kind of will get promoted into leadership. and We're going to learn, you know what. What are the pet projects for these new people who are going to be promoted into leadership?
0: What's the timeline and process for that leadership process? I don't think many of us don't know, you know how the how those leaders get appointed, and and when can folks expect to see decisions on that?
1: Well, I would say sometime in December, the Republicans will probably have a retreat, and at that retreat, some formal decisions will be made. I, I. would bet most of the decisions have already effectively been made, at least as to the very top positions, like the rules chairman, Senator Appadaka resigned. That was our highest level departure. And I I tend to think they probably already know who the next rules chairman is going to be. I don't know that. Um, So as soon as we figure that out, we'll have a pretty good sense of what the top priorities will be. One thing that I know is gonna come back to affect Charlotte and a lot of the big cities is gonna be their effort to redistribute sales tax. And what they want to do basically is skim off the sales tax revenue for all of the urban centers and then redistribute that money to a lot of the rural counties that are having trouble attracting population, and attracting business. So, you know, pros and cons to this. But if you're in an urban center, it's nothing but downside for you because your property taxes will probably go up in order to compensate for the lost revenue if they succeed in pushing sales tax redistribution. That's kind of one of those off the radar issues that could actually be really consequential not only for people living here, but for business development in Charlotte, if property taxes jump 10%, that makes a difference.
0: All right. No, that's a good, I appreciate that tip. That's an important forecast. I wanted to step back to, most of our listeners probably don't have an opportunity to talk to uh, an elected representative. And I wonder how, uh, two questions really. One is how often are you contacted by businesses as opposed to citizens? And then maybe as part of that, what do you think is the best way for a business that's either concerned about an existing regulation or wants some other change in the law, how should our in-house counsel be, you know, advising their folks on how to contact legislators both at the state level and nationally? What what are the ways to do that beyond Hiring a lobbyist full-time to go, you know, advance their positions. We've got a lot of, of you know middle market clients that aren't spending a lot of money on lobbying, but may care very much about a, a particular bill or piece of legislation. You know,
1: a- as well they should. And you really don't need to hire a lobbyist in order to establish an effective working relationship with your local state legislator. I mean, I get contacted by businesses, you know, a few times a week, and I would say 70% of the time it's through a lobbyist, but a lot of times it's just the owner of the business giving me a call, putting an issue on my radar, I would say uh, maybe half of us are relatively easy to get a hold of on the phone. You know, I mean, that's just a personal thing, how accessible your state legislator is willing to be, Um, whether they prefer email or whether they prefer the phone, and it's, it's different for each of them. But what I would say as far as specific advice, if you know who you want to get in touch with as a legislator, call their office and speak with their legislative assistant and ask what is the preferred method of contact For that legislator. And if you really are serious about it, schedule an in-person meeting because there's just nothing close to sitting down and meeting with someone and having a real conversation. Over the phone just doesn't cut it. It's worth your time. If you are going to be in a certain part of our state for the foreseeable future, schedule a face-to-face meeting with your state rep and with your state senator and then call them once every six months just to touch base that will pay dividends. If there's some bill tracking that impacts your industry, you will have a built-in relationship with these people and they'll listen to you. They'll treat you as an expert in the field, which they should.
0: Got you. So I hear you saying, go ahead and build that relationship. And that may be more important than focusing on some specific issue, but actually let them know you're a business in their jurisdiction, in their precinct, and you know, try to establish some relationship there up front.
1: I mean, it costs you nothing except a little time right? So you make the call to the legislative assistant. You say, I'd like to set up a meeting and they're going to be local, right? Because they represent that district. Mm -hmm. So go to a Starbucks and have a meeting, show up with no agenda. That's great. I love it when people sit down and they say, by the way, I have no agenda. Wonderful. This is going to be
0: easy then. And just make it um, a pleasant familiarization. And you think not only you, but some other legislators would be willing to do that. I guess, I think a lot of people assume that they're going to be too busy. They're not going to want to talk to me. I'll bet, you know, I'll get sent to a voicemail or some you know, an, or an assistant, and I'm never actually going to speak to my representative. You know, your congressman's going to be hard
1: to get a hold of, but your state legislator is going to be much easier to get a hold of. And frankly, we passed 800 bills last year and Congress passed about two, three and a half, maybe. So we're doing most of the legislating that's going to affect your business. So, yeah, you can you can meet with us. Shouldn't be that hard. If it is hard, call me and I'll make sure that they take you seriously and schedule a meeting.
0: All right. Great. I appreciate it, Jeff. One thing we're doing as part of each of our Bulldog Bites is a quiz. I assure our listening audience that uh, Jeff has not had an opportunity to review these questions in advance. Which makes me nervous. So the suspense is real. Um, uh, Our first and all of these relate to presidents since we've just completed a presidential election. Question number one. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th U.S. president appears on the largest denomination of paper money ever printed by the U.S. Treasury Department. How much was that note worth? Was it? And these happily, Jeff, are multiple choice to try to give you at least some percentage chance, unless you just know offhand. Shout it out if you know. Is it $100,000? Is that one of the choices? He gets $100,000 before (laughs) he hears it, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen. Not only is a choice, but it is a correct choice. And the Bureau of Printing and Engraving only... Made the notes during a three-week stretch uh, during 1934 and 1935, and it was for official transactions with the Federal Reserve oh. banks. So not designed to be out in the circulating public. But you nailed it at 100,000. Hey, so uh, I've congrats. never seen one. Congratulations on that. No, that is uh, that's that's impressive. So, all right, he's one and oh ladies and gentlemen. Four more to go. Okay, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the first president to appear on television. On April 30th, 1939, at the opening ceremonies of which event? Was it A, the Olympics, B, the National Baseball League, or C, the World's Fair? I'm going to go World's Fair. He goes World's Fair and gets it correct, two for two. That is correct. Franklin Delano Roosevelt there at the World's Fair in 1939. Question number three. Our presidents have had varied careers before taking the Oval Office, including acting, farming, and teaching. However, lawyer is the most common trade of our presidents. So let's see if you can match these presidents with their law school. Oh, no. Barack Obama.
1: He was Harvard.
0: That is correct. Gerald Ford.
1: Didn't even know he went to law school. So. <laughs> and do you want to make a guess then? Gonna
0: go. It's not, um, it's not that far away from Harvard. Gonna go Yale? Yale is correct. Wow. Uh, he gets it. And then finally, Richard Nixon. Duke. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah. That's correct. I know that's your favorite school, right? No, <laughs> Carolina from Chapel. I, Hillton, I'm a little surprised you're Chapel able to Chapel say Hillton. the word Duke without. That's a, how I gonna, spit it out really
1: <laughs> quick. Duke. It's like how Trump says China. Yeah. Say Duke. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, good job. And uh, and of course that is where Nixon went. So that's why I wanted to tee that up for you. All right. Question number four. Like you, Jeff, one of our presidents graduated from the University of North Carolina before he became an attorney and won elected office. Can you name which president that was?
1: Is this a multiple
0: choice? It is not designed as a multiple choice, but if you need help, no, no, it's I can all right. try to give you no, some. No, I can I, mess I, this up can... all on my own.
1: Who went to
0: UNC? Uh, Polk? Polk, nails it. Jeff, Whoa. congratulations. That's four for four. Yes, Polk, who was born near Charlotte and, of course, has the uh, historic uh, Polk birthplace. I've, I don't know. I actually uh, have seen that monument, and it's... Uh, For those listeners that are interested, it's right near what used to be the disputed border between North Carolina and and South Carolina. But yes, Polk is a Carolina man. So uh, congratulations. Um, You may be our first podcast participant to get them all right. If you can come up with the answer to number five, the final question, along with the practice of law and military service, many of our presidents were accomplished sportsmen, including Abraham Lincoln. Which of the following halls of fame recognizes the great emancipator for his athletic achievements. Was it A, the American Bowling Hall of Fame, B, the International Swimming Hall of Fame, or C, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame?
1: Well, I think Lincoln was probably not our most athletic president, so nothing against bowling, but I'm going bowling. He
0: goes bowling, and I'm afraid... No! Oh, that is, is it wrong. swimming? No, Maybe not swimming either. It is wrestling. In fact, it's believed Lincoln was only defeated once after 300 matches of wrestling. This so Abraham Lincoln, log splitter, truth teller, and apparently wrestler. Well, Art I was something. Wrestling Hall of Fame. That's so, amazing. So that is one of, uh, one of the interesting things from our lawyer, uh, lawyer presidents Abraham Lincoln, wrestler. We had those so, long
1: arms. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, So on that note, uh, we will wrap it up. I do encourage our listeners to listen for some of our upcoming podcasts. We're going to be looking at cybersecurity, managing legal spend, uh, and dealing with issues surrounding uh, automated transportation. Uh, So other interesting topics out there. Um, If you'd like to talk further with Jeff, he can be reached here at, at Womble Carlyle, and you can contact or email him through our website here uh, also if listeners have suggestions for food future editions of bulldog bites please feel free to contact me we'd love to hear your suggestions for future shows Jeff thank you very much it, it was being my here pleasure today? I really enjoyed it. yeah I've enjoyed it as well that's all here from bulldog bites have a great day